Have you ever felt like you were, uh, like you were stuck in a rut, right? You, you get stuck there, and, and no matter how much you try, your, your wheels are just spinning. Sometimes you're wishing you had four-wheel drive. In our lives, we don't have four-wheel drive, but we got spiritual four-wheel drive. Yeah? We got spiritual four-wheel drive. Some of the things that keep us stuck in a rut is our inability to resist temptation, our inability to walk in obedience to God. It's a constant, constant struggle, all right? Even for the greatest of Christians and those that have been serving Christ for so many years, sin is a constant battle, and we always need to keep sin in check, and we always need to keep it before God, all right? Now, I... Sin is something that's not very popular to speak about because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel like everybody's eyes are on us. It makes us feel like God's eyes are on us. And sometimes we convince ourselves that God can't see our sin, right? And so we try to um, keep God out of those areas of our lives that We need the light of Christ in. Yeah? So I want to um, build a sort of foundation, if I may. And I want to start with just the simplest of things. And I want to start with a definition of sin. Okay? Now, the Revel Bible Dictionary defines sin as this. Sin is rebellion against God. If you had to put it in, your, in the simplest forms, rebellion against God. All right? Falling short of or deviation from the standards that have been established by God. All right? Standards, God's laws. Things that he has put in place to rob us of all of our fun. No. No. God has no intentions of robbing all of his kids of all the fun. That's not the Lord's intention. Do you know that? Can we put that to rest right now? God doesn't want to rob you of any of your fun. He wants to protect you. For instance, let's take a, uh, a preschool yard, okay? Around a preschool yard, you would probably find what? Offense, okay? Now, is the intention of that fence to keep all those kids from having fun? No. On the contrary, it's so that the kids can enjoy what's in there, what's safe, what's not going to hurt them. Correct? Do you know that there was a study done, a clinical study that they, this was probably back in the 70s, I believe, where they did this study and they started with a fence around a schoolyard. And the kids would go right up to that fence and they would bounce off of the fence and they'd throw stuff at the fence. They, they incorporated even the fence into their play, playtime. Okay? And then what they did was they, some of you have, have been maybe taking some psychology, might be familiar with this, they removed that fence. They removed the fence. And instead of the children playing out past where it was, the children huddled 
stayed closer inside. Why did they do that? Because it created fear in them, and the boundaries created a comfort zone, if you will. They knew that if they were inside of those boundaries of that fence, that they were safe. Nobody was going to come in, and nobody was going to get out. They were safe, and what was inside was safe and available and for them. That is God's intention for our lives. He has placed a fence around us and said, don't go outside of this fence, right? Okay, you following me? The fence is his laws, and his laws are not to rob us of what's outside of the fence. His fence, his laws, his, his uh, decrees, those are all so that we can function fully and have everything that we need for life and godliness in his word, okay? Everything that we can be safe, we can enjoy, okay? If those fences are not there, we're headed for trouble. When we stray outside of the fences, we're headed for trouble, okay? Sin, so let's continue. In the New Testament, sin is portrayed as corruption of human nature that makes man hostile to God. Captive to baser passions and desires and unwilling to submit to God's known will. So even though we know what God demands and commands, we refuse to do that. We refuse to submit to him. Now, if we were to take, sometimes it helps to take the opposite of what a word is. And it helps to explain it a little bit even more. Help us, helps us to see things from a different perspective. So if we were to take maybe the opposite or um, something like that of sin, it might be purity. Purity, okay? And purity is the absence of blemish or stain, especially sin. It's, it's like an emptying out, being clean. Also, guiltless, blameless, innocent behavior. Does that help to shape and define what sin and what sin is and what sin is not? Okay? I want you to turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. Verses 1 through 11. I've been really struggling with my allergies. Has anybody else been struggling with allergies? Oh, my goodness. I'll second that moan. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I know that we visited this scripture prior to today, but I want to revisit it. Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, 
commands us to stone such women. What do you say? Notice they're trying to trap him. No, that's no uh, secret, right? They were using this question as, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And I just, I picture this. Movies have created this in a beautiful way and my mind sees a picture of this portrayal and I just see this woman whose life is a mess. She's sinful and she's dirty and she's guilty. And everyone is pointing their fingers at her and wanting Jesus to do the same. Jesus recognizes her guilt But knowing their intention, he says to them, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he goes on to something even more beautiful. And he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And can you picture her looking up and looking around No one, sir, she said. And then he says to her, can you just just picture this? Neither, as, as a father would say to his daughter, maybe, you know, putting his hand underneath her chin, don't you worry, you're okay, you know. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now listen to what he says. Go now and leave your life of sin. I'm not condemning you. I know that you're guilty. You know that you're guilty. But I'm not condemning you. Because of this, go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin, he tells her. Don't keep doing what you're doing. Isn't that beautiful? That is just so, so beautiful. I I just think of so many of us even, even that are here today our past lives, and I'm not talking reincarnation, (laughs) okay? The people that we used to be, some of us, we don't even look the same anymore because of the transformation that God has made in our lives. Some of you that are here, I never thought would come. You never thought you'd come. But here you are in the family of God having submitted and committed your lives to the Lord. And I want to tell you, I'm proud of you. I'm glad to be your brother and your pastor and your friend. It is beautiful what God does when people submit to Him. Turn with me to chapter, to Luke chapter 18. Jesus was a master, a master at telling stories, 
All right? And to some, to his disciples, it helped to clarify what he was trying to say. To others, it, would, it wasn't. Let's say that, okay? But he tells another story, a beautiful story, in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now notice, it's the same sort of scenario. All right? Pride is involved in these religious leaders. These Pharisees were looking down on everyone else, trying to puff themselves up. Right? And so Jesus, knowing their hearts, tells this parable. In verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, Pharisees were religious leaders to the hilt, and the tax collectors were at the total other end of the spectrum. Okay? Now, so we have two different ends of the spectrum here, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Over here, everybody hated the tax collectors. I fast twice a week and give up a tenth of all I get. Do you see? He's justifying himself to God. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. But the tax collector in verse 13 stood at a distance. You see, he was afraid to even approach. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat on his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted, will be lifted up. Isn't that beautiful? What should our response to sin be? Biblically, a lot of times, even as Christians, we just kind of brush over it. We accept it. Sometimes we kind of shove it under the rug and, and we, we don't deal with it. Sin needs to be dealt with. I want to present to you three things that we can do that we are commanded to do, I will say. All right? In the Bible, in response to our sin. Now, Jesus has done his part in cleansing us from sin. But there is a responsibility that we have in response to sin. Wouldn't you agree? Okay? First of all, we have to recognize. All right? I'm going to give you three R's. First of all, we have to recognize, all right, and by that I mean an admission of guilt before God. Okay? 
We admit that we are guilty. I'm a sinner. There's an old song uh, David Parker used to sing. Some of you may remember it. I belong to you. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm fallen in need of a friend. Beautiful song, beautiful song. First, we need to recognize that we are sinners. We need to admit that we have sinned and are guilty before God. Keep your thumb in there, in that spot, and I want you to turn to 2 Samuel 24.10. Back towards the beginning here. Might have been a while since you've been there. 2 Samuel 24.10. Now listen. David, I'm just going to very quickly go through this. David had counted the people of the kingdom. Okay? He had caused a, initiated a census to be taken, counting the people. Okay? Now, it leads us to believe that David did this in order to see how big the kingdom was and, and to kind of puff himself up. Okay? So there's pride involved here for sure. Now, listen, after. Listen to David's response to his sin. David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, now listen to this, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done, listen to this, a very foolish thing. A very foolish thing. He recognized his guilt before God. Let's turn to Ezra, chapter 9, verse 6. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Ezra 9, 6. Listen to Ezra's confession. Listen to this. Oh my God, I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached the heavens. From the days of our forefathers until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage, humiliation at the hand of foreign kings, as it is today. He's ashamed and he's embarrassed. He recognizes the sin of himself and his people before God. So the first thing that we must do And responding to our sin is to recognize it. Admit to ourselves and to God our guilt. Secondly, in an effort to stay with the R theme, 
We're going to use the word report, okay? Which basically means confess. We are recognize, admit our sins to God. And then secondly, report. What does that mean? Report, to confess it, the sin to God or to a pastor or to others or to all three. Why is confession so important? You know why? Because it keeps you from hiding it. Yeah? Okay? When we confess our sin, when we report it to God, we report it to the pastor, we report it to a trusted friend, we're allowing someone we trust into our lives so that we are held accountable. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. But it's necessary. And I'm telling you, straight up, I think the church is not doing this. I think the people of the church are not doing this anymore. Very, very, very seldom do I ever hear it or see it. And because of this, sin has been allowed to remain in the church of God. Okay? And it has become, and the world has changed the words to some of the things that we call sin, okay? And they make them not so irritable or so touchy or so guilt-ridden. They make it almost acceptable. But the Bible says, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Even though the world says that certain things are okay, it does not mean it's okay to God. Okay? We are to report, to confess our sin to God, to a pastor, to trusted friends. Listen to what James chapter 5, verse 16 says. Turn there with me. Hebrews, James. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to somebody you don't know and pray... No, wait. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Friends, how do we get rid of sin in our lives? We recognize it. We report it to somebody. Okay? And it says, you will be healed. Okay? If we hide it, if we cover it up, if we try to explain it away or convince ourselves that it's not sin, we remain sinful, okay? Even though Jesus Christ went to the cross to free us from our sin, we remain sinful, full of sin. You follow me? But he's saying here in his word, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Okay? 
You know that our sin separates us from God. We don't want to be separated from God, but that's exactly what it does. Thirdly, let's, let's turn one more. Let's turn to John, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. A couple books over to your, towards the end. 1 John 1, 9. Here we, we're talking about reporting, confessing our sins. Listen, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, it takes the confession. Without the confession, it remains. We've got to have the intestinal fortitude, the strength to admit to God, to one, recognize that we have sinned. We are guilty before God. Number two, to report it, to confess it before God. Confess it. And number three, repent. You had to know that was coming. What other R word are you going to use? Recognize, report it, and repent. Repent to turn, to turn around with genuine sorrow and humility. Turn from sin, as Jesus told the woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Now go, leave your life of sin. Friends, turn from your sin. Turn it over to God. Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Listen to what, and it's and 32. Jesus answered them. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but who? The sick. The sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus wants to call those who sin to repent. That's our response, to respond with repentance. Repentance, turning from our sin. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Are you still with me? Now listen here. Some of us may be thinking, oh, this message is for so-and-so. Yeah, they got a lot of sin that they need to be confessing. Right? Don't do that. Okay? Even though we could do that and point the fingers, that's not it. Okay? Our responsibility is us. It's not our jobs to point out the specks in somebody else's eye when we got logs in our own eye, right? As the scripture says. Okay? Don't be elbowing your husband. Hey! You know, or, or your, 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 uh, somebody else, your friend. Hey, buddy, you got you to take note of this. That's not it. All right? That's not the intention here. Okay? 
Now, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been anointed for you, even Jesus. Repent and turn, there it is, to God. Turn. Don't keep going the way you're going. Don't keep doing the same thing. Turn. Recognize. Admit your guilt before God. Two, confess it. Report it to God or to a pastor or to a trusted friend. And three, repent. Turn. With genuine sorrow and humility, turn from your sin. That tax collector in that parable did that, didn't he? He was so heartbroken. He knew he was a sinner and dirty and and has been uh, disobedient and rebellion to God, not doing what he knows is the truth. And he comes before God so broken. And he falls before God. Have mercy on me. And he beat himself. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm so sorry. Jesus said, he was the one that went away justified because of his response. Amen? In Jeremiah chapter 31, turn there with me, verse 19. Listen to Jeremiah's response. After I strayed, in verse 19, he says, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast, just like that guy, right? The tax collector. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. But it says, after I strayed, I did what? I repented. I came to understand. There's the recognition. I repented. And he was ashamed and humiliated 